Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. Sorry, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now we're just going to jump right into it tonight. I'm going to ask you this question. Is Jesus saying that we should never judge or make judgments? Good for you. Because actually people may not realize this. You might want to realize this, but this is probably one of the most quoted Bible verses right now in the world. Because it's one of the most quoted, not by people that know the Lord or know the word. But nowadays the world is saying, no, God's word says you're not to judge. Judge not that you be not judged. Actually, years ago, when I was a member of a, a church here in Palm Bay, it was Lockmar Baptist. We're talking 30 years ago when I was there. They had a men's bake-off one Sunday night where all the men were supposed to make cakes. And then they were going to have, we had a fellowship afterwards, but they were going to have a judging of the cakes. And everybody was to take a little piece and everybody was to judge and write down which one they thought was the best cake. And that guy was going to be the winner. Well, one of the men in the church made a cake in the shape of a Bible laying like this open. And the scripture that was on it said, judge not, lest you be judged. And I still remember that very vividly. After I taught this lesson last night, it just so happened that there was a man there who had a cartoon from a cartoon strip called Pickles. And uh, he handed it to my wife, and, and she showed it to me afterwards. And it was two older men sitting there on a couch, and one of them was reading the newspaper. And he says, man, it's sad how everybody judges each other nowadays. And then, the, then that man said, well, that's not my job to judge. It's not my job. But then in the next frame, he says, oh, I still do it, but it's not my job. <laughs> Jesus could not be saying that we are never to judge anyone because he himself tells us to make proper judgments. Put a bookmark here in Matthew 7 and go with me to John chapter 7. If Jesus were saying here, don't ever judge or make judgments, he'd be contradicting himself. Because in John chapter 7, look at verses 22 through 24. Jesus is speaking, he says, Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from your father's or the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a, whole man, a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So here Jesus even says, you're to judge. So we're going to have to break this passage down, but before we do, I want to show you that the context of this passage even tells us, not just the section we're going to be studying, but also the context of this message of this part of the Sermon on the Mount shows us that he could not have been saying never make judgments because the Bible teaches us that we're to do so. We just saw in John 7, 24 that we're to make right judgments. Uh, go, to, um, go to Matthew chapter 7 and look at verse, verse 6. He says, don't give to dogs what's holy and don't throw your pearls before pigs. Well, how in the world are you ever going to decide or know which is a pearl, or a pig or a dog if you're not to make judgments? So you're going to have to make judgments in order to determine whether or not I'm giving my pearls to pigs or, or dogs. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, also in Matthew chapter 7, look at verses 15 through 20. In Matthew 7, verses 15 following, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, and thus you'll recognize them by their fruit. So again, here he's saying that you are to judge whether or not someone's a false teacher or whether or not they're teaching truth. 
by examining their life. So again, Jesus could not be here in Matthew saying when he says, judge not lest you be, not, lest you be judged. He could not be saying you should never judge because in John 7, 24, he said, make right judgments. Here we see in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, that we're to judge whether or not we're giving our pearls to swine. Here also we see in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and following, that we're to make judgments over whether or not someone's a false teacher. And actually go back to Matthew chapter 7 and look again at verse 5. It says, after you, it says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Even in this passage, it's saying you are to make a judgment for, towards your brother. But as you see, it's after you make the right. Let's just put it to you because I'm going to explain it to you later. I'll put it to you this way. You make the right assessments before you make the right judgments. All right. So we'll come back to that in a little bit. Let me also show you that there's no way that Jesus could be teaching here in, in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 7 that we should never judge. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Moses is speaking right before the nation of Israel goes into the promised land. And we'll start in verse 9. Moses said, at that time I said to you, I'm not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are, and bless you as he has promised you. For how can I bear my, by myself the weight and the burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your what? Judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with you. You shall not be partial in judgment. By the way, keep that in your, in your logbook, in your memory, because it's going to come back later on and I'm going to give you a test. So just keep that in your mind. Shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. So here, God actually had set up judges over the people of Israel to make righteous judgments. So he could not be here in Matthew 7 saying, don't ever judge. So what's he saying then? Well, he says, if you don't know the difference between a proper judgment and wrong judgments... You better not judge. If you don't know the difference between proper judgments and righteous judgments, you better not judge. Because the measure with which you judge, it will be measured to you. And if you make judgments and you judge others with wrong judgment, guess what's coming to you? Or a harsh judgment, guess what's coming to you? Harsh judgment. Because the way you judge others will be the standard in which you receive judgment. I'm going to show you a couple of things from Jesus' teaching on this that may surprise some of you. Stories you've probably actually have seen over the years, but probably never really looked at in this way. Go with me to Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew 25, we'll start in verse 24. We see Jesus' teaching on the parable of the talents, and this is him dealing with the third servant. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 24, it says, He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Hang on for a second. Before we go any further, quote with me a passage of Scripture you all know real well. It's in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, Come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, humble. Some of your translations say lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. So Jesus says, come unto me and, I, and learn of me because I'm gentle, I'm humble, I'm meek. But this guy says, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you didn't sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. 
So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Isn't that interesting? Jesus, he seems like a hard man, doesn't he? Go with me to Luke chapter 19. Let's look at this account here in the parable of the ten minas. In Luke chapter 19, verses 20 through 27. Luke chapter 19, verse 20. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words. You wicked servant, you knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has more will be given to him. And but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Folks, let me just say something to you. Aren't you glad on the day of judgment you've already been reconciled to God through the death of his son? But on that day of judgment, for those who don't know him, who don't have a relationship with him, not only is he going to be harsh in his judgment and righteous in his judgment, he's going to judge them according to how they judged him. The guy says, look, I saw you as a hard man. You reap where you don't sow. In other words, you make us do all the work and you get all the credit. By the way, the longer I walk with the Lord and the more that I'm using the Lord, the more I realize I don't do anything. If anything's been accomplished, he did it, not me. By the way, if you're out there right now and you're thinking, man, I work for Jesus hard and I slave for Jesus hard, yeah, you, you don't understand him and you don't know how it works. You sound like that older brother. Remember in the story of the two sons? All these years I've slaved for you. And you haven't even given me a goat. He was right there, but he had no idea the heart of the father. Folks, let me just tell you, the Bible's very clear, and I'm not going to take the time to go down that road, but if you treat someone with harsh judgment, don't be surprised if the world responds in the same way to you. Right? You ever notice that? You treat people mean, you're most likely going to get mean treatment in return. And God also says, though, the measure you judge it, it will be measured back to you. Over the years as a pastor, I've had a lot of people lie to me. Look, I'm not surprised because people want to tell the preacher what they think the preacher wants to hear. And they try to put on this front of them being something that they're really not. And I've been lied to over the years. But I learned years ago, if you lie to me, I'm going to hold you to it. If you say something that is not true, I'm going to act like it is true. And I'm going to use your own words against you. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's the measure God uses as well. He goes, he says to this man, if you really saw me because you made this judgment about me, which wasn't correct. But if you really saw me as a hard man and you saw me as someone that reaped where I didn't sow. Then if you really saw me in that way, you would have acted like that were true and you would have got to work. If you thought that was how you get right with me, you would have put that money to work. You see what he's saying? I'm going to use your own words against you. Folks, just understand. Well, let me put it to you in a scriptural way that will help you understand it better than me trying to explain it. Go to James chapter 2. Look at verse 13. James chapter 2 verse 13 says this, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Do you see it? Judgment is without mercy 
to one who has shown no mercy. By the way, put a bookmark here in James 2. We're coming back here in a little bit, so that'll help you find it a little bit later. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Remember back in our earlier part of our study of Matthew in the early part of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall what? Shall receive mercy. By the way, has anybody caught what that sounds like yet? It says, the one who is judged without mercy, I'm going to receive judgment without mercy. The one that's been merciful, they're going to receive mercy. Maybe caught what that sounds like a little bit yet? Maybe you haven't caught it yet. It's in Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the whole law and the prophets is all summed up. Remember, he summed up the law and the prophets into two things. Does anybody know what they are? Love who first? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you love God with everything you have, you'll keep the first four. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll keep the next six. But he also says this. Whatever you want people to do to you, you do to them. Do you want people to make judgments about you? Probably not, right? Well, don't do it to them. Now, as you're going to see in a little bit, the Bible does teach they are to make right judgments, and I'm going to show you how to make right judgments to our study tonight. But let's just first get to the point of Jesus says, don't judge people so that you don't get judged. And then he says, let's work on getting yourself fixed first, the log out of your own eye, so that you can help and get the speck out of your brother's eye. But then he goes on and says, oh, but I do want you to make right judgments, and I want you to know how to not cast your pearls before swine or give what is holy to dogs. We'll close with that a little bit later tonight, what he means by that. But for right now, what I think would be fun for us to do is to do a little study on what does the Bible say then makes up a right judgment. He said, if we're to still make judgments, and the judgments we are make are to be proper judgments, what is the judgment that's proper? Go back to John chapter 7 and look at verse 24 again. And I'm going to do some things tonight that I don't normally do. I'm going to actually ask questions and wait for you to answer them. Sometimes I'll ask them, but then I'll answer them. Tonight I want to see, I'm going to teach, see if you guys are starting to get how to read the scriptures for yourself. And John chapter 7, verse 24 Jesus said this, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Here's the question. From this verse, there's many other verses we're going to look at tonight, so don't try to pull them out. From this verse, what's something that we can learn about making right judgments or proper judgments? A right judgment is what? It's not judging people by appearances. It's not judging by appearances. All right, let me, let me just explain to you what, what, what I mean by that. I want to ask an honest question here. How many of you, on the average, are not speeders? I mean, let's be honest. I'm, I'm not. My, my wife and kids will tell you, Dad drives the speed limit. <laughs> on the average, you're, you're not one that's that on, all the time you speed. You, you, on the average, you don't. Okay, very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eh. Let me ask you this question, uh, Michael. Why do you want to see how close to the law you can in breaking the law that you can get? That, but that's another whole heart issue. But we'll get back to. I know it though. Yeah, you've been there. You know what it is. You're a police officer. You know. So, here, here's here's what I wanted to say though. But there's many of us here that we would we, honestly say we're not speeders. We don't speed on the whole. But those of you that raised your hand that said you're not speeders, have you ever sped? Of course. What if somebody saw you speed one time? and made a judgment that you are a speeder. They would be making an improper judgment because they were doing it on appearances, not from what it is. See, that's one of the dangers of us seeing somebody one time do something and assuming and making a judgment on our mind that that's the way they are all the time. We all would admit there's lots of areas, not just speeding, that we don't live like that, but once in a while we may slip up. You wouldn't want anybody to judge you on that one time you slipped up, would you? Then why are you making judgments about somebody else when you only saw it happen one time? It appears that they were that way, and you're making judgments on appearances. 
Proper judgments are to be made by those who are truly spiritual. Go to Galatians chapter 6. What I mean by truly spiritual is not some kind of false or phony, self-righteous type of spirituality. But in Galatians chapter 6, look at verses 1 through 5. The Bible says that proper judgments are to be made by those who are truly spiritual. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression... By the way, that doesn't mean you caught them in a transgression. It means that person is caught in a transgression. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a difference between you doing something once in a while and just you're stuck in it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Again, the difference between you speeding once and being a speeder. If you see your brother who is caught in a transgression, you didn't catch them in a transgression, they're caught in it. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Let me explain something to you. Improper judgments are when you see yourself as better than the person that you're making the judgment on. Does anybody know why this is wrong for you to make a judgment and you make the judgment because you see yourself as better than that person? I'm sorry? It is pride. Why is it pride? Okay, and we're going to get to that. Well, that's definitely true as well. Let's go bigger. Oh, that's good. But actually, you're going to see that right judgment's actually going to come from below them. Not as equal, but actually as below. And I'll get to that in a second. Very good, Glenn. Did you hear what Glenn said? You're acting like God. Who's the only true judge? Did you catch what was said in Deuteronomy chapter 1? That these judges are to make judges without, make decisions without partiality and they're going to be God's judgments? They're not going to make judgments from the, what they see. They're going to make judgments from what God says. There's only one judge and that's God. And when you set yourself up over somebody, think you're better than them, and therefore you make a judgment about them from up here, you're putting yourself in the place of God. And only God is the one. We look closely at this passage. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It's not even coming alongside as an equal. It's actually coming with a humble side that says, look, I got problems just like everybody. But by God's grace, I know how I can help you in this one. Can I come build you up? You restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, though, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. In other words, he won't be saying, I'm righteous because I'm better than my brother. He'll be in his own self alone and not his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. In this passage, the scripture says that if you do see your brother in a, caught in a transgression, and we are to make judgments in that area, only those who are spiritual are the ones who are going to be supposed to deal with it. And they're to do it with a desire to help and to build up and to restore. We have a tendency to tell people about what other people do. And we say, well, I'm only sharing with this brother so you can pray for sister so-and-so. But what we're really doing is we're saying, I don't do that, but they do. I'm higher. I'm better than them. That person's not spiritual. I'm going to show you what I mean. Go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, look at verses 9 through 14. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, Be merciful to me, a sinner. 
I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Go to Psalm chapter 50. Psalm 51. Go to Psalm 51. God just brought this passage to my mind just now as I was reading that. It's not in my notes, so you're getting something Tuesday night didn't get. Look at the heart of David. David had sinned greatly, as you know, with Bathsheba. And in Psalm 51, starting in verse 5, he says, Behold, uh, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation." And uphold me with a willing spirit. What's that next word? Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Did you see it? He got the log out of his eye before he even tried to help anybody else. Truly spiritual people won't even think about judging anyone else or correcting anybody else or pointing out anybody else's sin until they have done the pure checkup, not only of the fact of, all right, am I guilty of stuff as well? And what is my reason for wanting to point this out? Am I wanting to point this out because it makes me feel better? Am I wanting to point this out because it makes me let that person know that I'm further along the road than they are? Or is my desire to point it out because I really want to help? And folks, when you really want to help, the only person you'll talk to is that person. Isn't that what the scripture says in Matthew 18? You got a problem with your brother? You go see your brother. I'm just going to shoot straight with you all. This is a lesson that we all need. Because we all judge people. Now we might not verbalize it. But we do. We make judgments on how people dress, how people drive, whether or not they got tattoos or piercings. We make judgments about whether or not they sing the kind of songs we like to sing in church. We make judgments about people when we see what kind of a vehicle they drive. Sometimes we judge them when we think, well, they shouldn't have that expensive of a car. Or sometimes we even make judgments because they might be driving a foreign car when they should be buying American. We make judgments about a lot of stuff, and we have to be honest. The Bible is teaching us tonight that we need to be careful in that because the measure with which we judge others is how we're going to receive judgment in return. And judgment without mercy is going to be given to those who show no mercy. All right, I'm not going to tell you before we read the scripture what the next description of proper judgment looked like. This is where I'm going to ask you and see if you can tell me. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. From this passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, what is another part of the description of proper judgment? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, let me read it to you. And then you tell me. It says, And if you call on him, God, as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. From this verse right here, and maybe a passage I've told you to remember, what's the next part of the definition of what proper judgment looks like? We've already seen that proper judgment is not based on appearances. Proper judgment should be done by those who are spiritual with a desire to restore. Proper judgment is also what, according to this verse? Not, not partial. Did you catch it? It's not partial. Do you remember how the judges in Deuteronomy 1 were told to judge impartially? All through the, if you remember the old King James translation, the Bible said that God is no respecter of persons. I didn't even get into the fact of how often we make judgments on people's skin color. 
We just assume because of the neighborhood they live in, that must mean they are like this. You don't know. Go to James chapter 2. You're here in 1 Peter, just back up. to James chapter 2, and look at verses 1 through 13. James says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and made or become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which is, he has promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the, the ones who drag you into the court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but falls in just or fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who is said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but, in, in, but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. I, I got to be honest with you. I was very guilty of this myself over the years as a pastor. Because God would always send me to churches that were struggling and didn't have very many people and a lot of times didn't have very many children. And whenever a family would show up and they had a lot of kids, I would get excited and think, oh, good, they could help our numbers. But if a homeless man came in, my thought was, well, he ain't going to bring much to what we need. And it was easier for me to want to go visit them, the family first before I visited the homeless guy. As we would go out and do visitation, I would kind of go, there'd be ones I'd rather go see than the others. And God was showing me my heart. And I was making judgments according to what I saw. That's not how God wants us to act. Because, as you hopefully know, and we're going to look at, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks where? You've heard me say this over the years, and I mean it now more than I ever did. I'd rather now be a part of a small group of people whose hearts are right with the Lord than a part of a large group that's phony. We've been taught to measure growth and numbers and what's your attendance. Let me just tell you from experience, cancer grows fast, but it doesn't mean it's healthy. We quickly say, when, oh, that church is growing. Boy, their parking lot's full. They got to go to two services, and we just assume that means it's a healthy church. Don't fall prey to that. Don't fall prey to that. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. This is the story that shows us how God sent Samuel to anoint one of Jesse's sons. Some of your Bibles will say in the heading, David anointed king or Samuel anoints David. But if you study verses 1 through 13, you'll find that only one verse deals with David being anointed king, just verse 13. But the whole rest of the story is what God's doing in the life of Samuel. I don't have the time to break this down for you, but let me just say to you this way. God tells Samuel, I want you to fill your horn with oil and you go and anoint one of Jesse's sons. And then he says this, I've already provided for myself a king from among his sons. I've already picked him. You don't got to pick him. I will show you what you're to do. All you do is anoint the one I tell you. Pretty clear, isn't it? God says to Samuel, I'm giving you a, a cake job. All you do is go invite Jesse and his sons to the feast, to sacrifice. I've already picked them. You don't have to pick them. No pressure on you whether or not you mess up. Um, I'm just going to show you what you're to do. You just listen and you just anoint the one I tell you. Pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty clear. Look at verse 6. When they came, he, Samuel, looked on Eliab and he thought to himself, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Here God said, I've already picked him. You don't got to pick him. I'll show you which one. Just anoint the one I tell you. What's the first thing Samuel does? 
He judges with his own eyes, makes his own decision, leans on his own understanding, and he makes the judgment on appearances. The Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture. Well, let me take you to two. Eh, Let's have fun and make it three. Go to Isaiah chapter 11 first. Go to Isaiah chapter 11. Some of you may or may not know this, but in this whole time that God's taking Samuel through this assignment of anointing the next king of Israel, it's really not about whether or not Samuel does a good job because whenever God gives us an assignment or a task, he doesn't need us to get the task done. You do realize that, right? The Bible says in Acts 17, 25, that God's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. But when God gives us assignments, we get focused on doing the assignment and doing a good job. But God says, I don't need you to get the assignment done. I'm using the assignment to shape you. And so he was shaping Samuel. Do you know Romans chapter 8, verse 28? I know you do. God causes all things to work for the good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Does anybody know verse 29? Boy, I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to the day in which I preach a whole sermon on all the verses around our favorite verses. Because we stop. Verse 29 says this, For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Did you catch that? Those that God knew were going to be his, he predestined, he planned ahead of time that we'd be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Did you know that actually God predestined to conform the Old Testament saints into the image of Jesus as well? Remember, Jesus has always existed. So what does God say to Samuel? He says, don't make your decision by what your eyes see. Go to Isaiah chapter 11, look at verses 1 through 5. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. We just saw that in 1 Samuel 16. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The shoot, by the way, from the stump of Jesse is David. And the branch from David's roots is who? It's Jesus. But you know him as the branch, the righteous branch. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Did you catch that? That's the seven spirits of God we see in Revelation 5. And his, this person's delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and the faithfulness the belt of his loins. Here a prophecy about Jesus and his coming kingdom on the earth and how he's going to judge the world and, and rule and reign on the earth. And when he makes his judgments, it's not going to be by what his eyes see or what his ears hear. Years ago, and, and this happens in a lot of the churches I've gone as pastor, people would come to me and say, Pastor, now that you're the pastor here, we need to tell you about some of the things that people have done and you just need to deal with it. And I stop them and I say, let me ask you a quick question. You want me to deal with somebody because of what you're telling me? Well, yeah, because you need to know. I said, okay, before I go any further, let me ask you one more question. Can I deal with you about the stuff people told me about you? And they quickly go, who? No, that's not fair. (laughs) Don't decide disputes or don't make judgments. But what your ears hear either, folks. Don't make judgments on appearances. By the way, do you realize now that the person who's going to make proper judgments, according to the definitions we've already seen, that they don't make judgments on appearances, they're impartial, they're spiritual people that have done the holy checkup in their hearts and their motives are pure. By the way, has anybody noticed the list of people that are qualified to make judgments? Is getting smaller and smaller and smaller? I think you're judging. <laughs> um, yes, but I'm making proper judgments. Because the scripture actually says that in our churches, those who should be in leadership making most of the spiritual judgments are the elders. Who are, as we saw in Deuteronomy, older, wise men. That doesn't mean a young man can't be qualified, but they're rare. Why Timothy was young, but he was told, Don't anybody look down on your youth because he had a maturity beyond his years, but it was a spiritual maturity. 
That's why God's design is that there be elders and leaders in the church who are spiritual to lead and make those decisions where we've over the years said, no, we're all equal. We all get an equal vote. And we wonder why our churches are in the mess they're in because there are a lot of judgments being made by people who don't have the spiritual maturity to make the judgments. Go to John chapter 8. Look at verses 12 through 18. John chapter 8, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. In other words, remember, the law said that there had to be at least two witnesses for anything to be verified. Remember, they said, you're making a testimony about yourself. Therefore, your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, verse 14, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. We're going to explain that in just a second. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So here he says, by the way, you're making improper judgments. You think it's only one person making a testimony. You don't realize there's two people here making this testimony, me and the Father. On top of that, he said, I don't judge anyone. But if I do judge, my judgment is true. You know why? Because it's coming from my father. Remember when Jesus walked on the earth, he's going to come and judge. But at that time, he didn't come to judge. But if he did make a judgment and he did make judgments all through the scriptures, and I'm going to show you that in a little bit. Jesus made judgments all the time. But when he did, well, let me give you an example of one. How about when he said, leave those Pharisees alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. He was making a judgment, was he not? But how come he was a right judgment? He knows their heart, and it was coming from who? The Father. Again, keep in mind, remember back in Deuteronomy, those judges were to make judges that were impartial, and they were to make God's judgments. That when they made their judgment, they knew that it was from God. By the way, when the elders got together in Acts 15 to deal with this issue of whether or not the Gentiles need to be circumcised, they met together, they searched the scriptures, they prayed about it, they looked at what God was doing. And then when they sent the letter to the church in, in, in uh, Antioch, they said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond these things. They knew that their judgment came from He said, you judge according to the flesh. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'll take a second here and explain that, what I mean by that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verses 16 and 17. Paul says, from now on, 2 Corinthians 5, 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He said, we don't regard anyone according to the flesh anyone, anymore. We used to regard Jesus that way. We don't do that anymore. What he said is this. We don't see people as humans anymore. They're either, we see them as spiritual beings. Either they're in Christ or they're separated from Christ. Correct? He goes, we used to see Jesus in this way. We don't do that anymore. In other words, we used to think Jesus was just a man. We don't make that mistake anymore. In the same way, you want to become a person that's able to make spiritual judgments and right judgments and proper judgments? you got to stop looking at people as human. Let's see the spiritual warfare that's going on, the spiritual nature of what's going on. If they're in Christ, they're a new creation. The old passed away, the new has come. Well, I don't see it. Well, that's okay. He who began the good work in them is the one that's going to finish it. And we see that if they're in Christ, he will finish. And he may use me, but he may not. And I'm going to hold off on trying to fix my brother and my sister in Christ until God even tells me I'm just going to leave that person to the Lord. 
Husbands, you might see some things in your wife that need to be done. If they're in Christ, you talk to the Lord. He's the one that's going to do the work in them, not you. Wives, same thing. And by the way, you wives are probably going to have to deal with it even more than us men. But don't think it's your job to fix them. See them as spiritual. Oh, by the way, the lost people, the people that are separated from Christ, we shouldn't get so, I can't believe they act like that. I can't believe they're doing these wicked things. I can't believe they're living in... They don't know the Lord! Would you not agree with me that even though you're saved, you still struggle with your flesh? You would imagine what you'd be like if you didn't have Jesus within you, giving you victory over sin, convicting you and dealing. Folks, let me just tell you, stop making judgments about the world, expecting them to act like Christians. They're doing the best they can. They're under the control and the dominion. of Satan, have pity on them, pray for them and love them. Point them to the only one that can set them free. Stop saying, well, I can't believe they act like that. They're doing the best they can. The best they ever will. We don't look at anybody anymore according to the flesh. We now look at things in a spiritual mindset, in a spiritual way. By the way, this type of spiritual wisdom will help us with the ability to recognize when we're to stay and speak or move on. Go back to Matthew chapter 7 and look at verse 6. And by the way, I'm going to have to hit this real fast in the time we have. So if you have hearing aids on, turn them to fast. In Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 6. Don't give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Here he's gone from saying, don't judge, but here's how you make judgments. Here he's saying, don't give what's holy to dogs and don't throw your pearls before pigs. In other words, there's going to be times that I'm going to teach you how to make spiritual judgments. And in those spiritual judgments, you're actually going to realize you're not to say anything more. Oh, no, my policy, Jim, is that I always share the gospel. Well, then go ahead and live by your policies instead of by the spirit and you will actually be not walking with Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, go to Matthew chapter 10. Look at what Jesus does when he sends them out two by two. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 5. He says, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Isn't that interesting? He tells them, don't go to the Jews, sorry, to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, just only to the, Gen- to the Jews. By the way, did God love the Gentiles? And of course he did. But at this point, he's just, he's teaching them. And he says, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two two tunics or sandals or staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it. Well, how am I going to do that? Well, that's where spiritual judgments come in. And stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. How are you going to know whether or not it's worthy? You share with them. If they receive it, means the Spirit of God's already at work. If they reject it, what are you to do? Move on. But you know what? We have over the years, instead of being people who make proper judgments of knowing when to share and when to keep our mouth shut, when to speak up and when to not speak up, because we live by our policies and our procedures, we've now shared the gospel with so many people that weren't ready for it yet or it wasn't time that now Christians are known whenever you share that here they come again. Because we've been taught to. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, when I say send you out, let your seed go out. If it's received, my father's there, stay. If not, move on. Go to Matthew chapter 15. Look at verses 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew with his disciples, as you're about to see, to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Hang on for a second. Is Tyre and Sidon Jewish country or Gentile country? Gentile country. He's taking them into Gentile country now. Remember, remember what he just told them. I want you to only go to Jewish territory. And if it's received, stay. If not, move on. 
Now he's taking them into Gentile territory. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out saying, uh, came out and was crying, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Whoa, 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 stop for a second. Here's a Gentile woman who calls Jesus the son of David. She understood the Jewish prophecies about the coming Messiah. This lady had spiritual insight, even though she was a Gentile. Have mercy on me, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he didn't answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Isn't that interesting? It sounds like what he was saying earlier. Stick with me here. I see some wrinkled foreheads like, what's he, going? What's he doing? Stick with me. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. All right, let me ask you a theological question first so we can break this down properly. Did Jesus know ahead of time if this woman had faith or whether or not she didn't have faith? Yes, he did. He knows everything. He knows everybody's heart. Stick with me. I know what you're thinking over there, Jeannie. So stick with me here. Stick with me. Jesus knows everything. He knows their thoughts. He knows where they're at. He knows what's going on in all their lives. He already knew she had faith. It appears like he doesn't and that her response surprises him. Stick with me. What's he been doing his whole time as he takes his disciples with him? He's teaching them. In their minds, who were the dogs? The Gentiles. And he says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. It's not right to send the children's bread to the dogs. The Jews, the Jewish disciples probably thinking, yeah, here's a dog. But then Jesus shows that she's not a dog because she has faith. Oh, she says, if I have to be a dog, then I'll be a dog. Even the dogs, you have to lift the crumbs that fall from the children's table. You're so amazing. I'll just take crumbs. And he turns to her and he says, woman, great is your her daughter was healed from that instance. What was he doing? He knew full well she wasn't a dog, but he was showing his disciples, here's how you make proper judgments, not on whether or not they're a Jew or a Gentile. You make the proper judgments on whether or not they have faith. You see it? He's teaching his disciples about how to make proper judgments. Don't just assume because she's a Gentile that she's out. Don't just assume because she's different than you that she's out. Don't just assume because of how they dress or how they act that they're out. Go to Mark chapter 5. For the sake of time, I'm going to get through this story and jump through the story fast. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1, we see Jesus takes his disciples across the Sea of Galilee to an area that is Jewish. Now, it's been going back and forth over the years as to whether or not Jews live there or Gentiles, but it's an area that actually is in the land of Israel that God gave to Moses and the, and, and the nation of Israel. And so they come to the other side of the sea of the country, the Gerasenes, and you know the story. There's this man who has the legion of demons in him, and he runs to Jesus and he says... Does anybody know what he says? What are you going to do with me, Jesus? What? Son of the Most High God. So, by the way, here is a Jewish area, and this man comes and says, Son of the Most High God, because Jesus had told the demons to come out. The demons say, don't send us into the abyss. Send us into that herd of pigs. By the way, um, let me ask you a question. Even though it's Jewish area... The fact that there's a herd of pigs and there are pig farmers, are they, are they people of faith or obedience to the word of God? Of course not. Pretty obvious, all right? He casts the demons into the pigs. The pigs all run into the sea. The people, the herdsmen run into the town and tell, every, tell everybody what happened. Look at what it says now in verse uh, 14. The herdsmen fled and told in the city and the country, and the people came to see what, what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. What does Jesus do? The very next verse says what? He gets in the boat. Here he is in the Jewish area, but they're obviously not walking with God. They knew about this man because they had tried to chain him and they couldn't. 
He enough had faith to come, even though he's full of demons, he had enough to come and say, you're the son of God. Jesus heals this man, casts the demons out, but the townspeople say, yeah, we're not comfortable with this. We want you out of here. And Jesus says, okay, I'll go on. But he does leave that man as a witness. Remember, the guy wants to get in the boat with Jesus, and Jesus says, no, you go home and you tell everybody. He leaves that man as a witness. Again, let me just say this in closing tonight in the time we have left. If you're going to make proper judgments, you have to live by the Spirit, knowing the Word, so you recognize which Spirit's talking. But you need to live by the Spirit and not by your policies. For example, Paul took a beating in Acts chapter 16, but he spoke up to avoid one in Acts chapter 22. He was in a Roman colony of Philippi, and the only answer is the Spirit of God must have told him to keep that Roman citizen card in his pocket because he knew about it after he took the beating, was in their cell, the jailer and his family get saved, and the magistrates come to release him. Paul says, oh, you guys beat two Roman citizens publicly without a trial. You tell them to come publicly let us out. He knew about that law, but he kept that Roman citizen card in his pocket. Yet a few chapters later in Acts 22, he's in another Roman area. They've got him stretched out to be beaten, and he says, let me ask you a quick question. Are you allowed to beat a Roman citizen without a trial? And then when they found out he was a Roman citizen, they quickly released him. Well, how come he didn't pull out the Roman citizen card in Acts 16? Because there's only one answer. The Spirit of God had to have told him, take the beating in this instance. Don't live by your policies, Paul. We also know that in one city, he was stoned and left for dead, dragged outside the city and left for dead. But in a different city, they put him in a basket and snuck him out of a window and out down the wall and away. So which is it? When do you, when do you sneak away? When do you stand there and get killed? By the way, the only answer is as the Lord leads and shows you with proper judgments. Go to 1 Corinthians 16. I'm going to show you two passages of Scripture right next to each other that illustrate this point, and this is what we'll close with tonight. 1 Corinthians 16, look at verses 5 through 9. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 5 through 9. Paul says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I don't want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Do you see how he's... Staying sensitive to the Spirit. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. So Paul says, look, I want to come, but I'm kind of listening to the Lord as I go to make my decision on when I'm to go and when I'm not to go. I'm going to let him lead me. Here's my desire, but I'm listening to the Spirit. But there's a wide door that's been opened here. Oh, there's lots of opposition, but there's a wide door here that's obviously of the Lord, and I'm supposed to stay for a while. You, 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 you got it? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verses 12 and 13. Same guy writing, by the way. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Wait a minute. He had an open door and he knew he was supposed to stay. Here's an open door in the Lord. And he doesn't stay. Why? Because he's not living by... What is I see? He's listening to the Spirit. Listen closely. There are going to be times that God is going to be testing you to see whether or not you are walking with what he's saying. And there's going to be opportunities that he's going to give you. Some of you, have you ever had to make a decision about a job change or whatever, and all of a sudden, right as you think you know what the answer is, two other jobs open up at the same time? Lord, what's going on? I'm teaching you to focus. I'm teaching you to listen. In the same way, there's a story about this prophet who was told by God to go make this prophecy and then don't eat with anybody. Go home a different way. Doesn't matter what anybody says. You just go home a different way and don't eat with anybody. But he does. He makes this prophecy. The king says, hey, stick around and have a meal. Nope, got to go. Runs off. As he's on his way back in a different route, this prophet comes out and says, the Lord told me that it's okay for you to eat with me. And the guy goes and eats with him. Does anybody know what happens next to him in that story? He was killed by a lion. And it was obviously of God because all the lion did was kill him and just stand there. Didn't eat him or nothing. Are you going to listen to what the Spirit's telling you? Or are you going to live by your policies 
Are you going to learn to make your decisions by not what your eyes see or your ears hear, but with righteousness, wisdom? Do you understand why Jesus said, don't judge? You ain't good at it, and it won't do you any good. But if you let me do a work in you, I need to use some of you to make right judgments. Because if the salt has lost its saltiness, what good is it? Do you understand? If we just never made a judgment and we just minded our own business and we didn't share truth, we didn't preach the gospel, we didn't point out that there's sin, if we didn't do any of that stuff, the church has lost its saltiness. What good is it? The problem is, is the church has tried to accomplish the work of the Holy Spirit through our own effort, through our own zeal, making judgments about people that we think are right, and we've done damage as well. So my prayer is for each of us, because we all judge, is that we would learn how to recognize, okay, I just made a judgment there in my heart. Was it a right judgment? Do I have all the facts? Is the Spirit of God speaking to me? Or is that my flesh? In time, you'll learn how to know when to speak and when not to speak. When to share what is holy and when not. By the way, don't be in a hurry. You shouldn't have this lesson learned by next week. It's going to be a journey. But I'll see you next week. Love you. Thanks for coming.